sports fans rejoice. You're listening to my team, my voice with MTMV Sports. I'm coming in. Hey, this is Chicago Hill, and you're listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel Podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. You can also find us on MTMV Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to both stations that you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a five-star rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. All right, welcome back to the KYP Podcast. I'm very excited for our next guest. Uh, Jamal Brown, um, he runs the Full Court Press with Coach Jay, a very popular YouTube channel. Uh, he is a varsity girls basketball coach in South Carolina. Uh, JB, thanks for joining me today. No problem. Um, coach Brown played uh, Division One in professional basketball overseas and also in the NBA D- G League, D League at the time. Uh, but why don't we start from the beginning? Coach, where did you play in high school? Who did you play for? And how has that helped you now as a coach? The relationship to this day. Um, we keep it in touch. We talk at least once or twice a week. Um, but, yeah, it, it it's helped me become a very good coach. Um, taught me some patience, a little bit of unpatience, but, you know, it happens. Um, what are some things that, you know, he's a legendary coach, only state champion in the school. What are some things that, you know, he taught you that you're using now with the girls that you teach? Um, basically just to teach the game, teach the game the correct way, um, stick to the fundamentals. You can never go wrong with fundamentals. Um, so we stick to that. I, I stick to that as a coach. And, you know, I still run the one three one that we ran when I was in high school where we trap a little bit. Um, I run a couple of his sets from out of bounds because I thought a lot of his baseline out of bounds plays were really good. Um, so those, that's how I still use what he taught me to today. Um, you, uh, you had a really good career there. Uh, when you guys went through your state championship run, were there any big names that you guys played against and how did you guys do against them? Um, we actually didn't, South Carolina at the time, we were good in basketball. You know, we had Raymond Felton in the state at the time, myself, Alex Potts, who went to Rice. Um, we had a major Wingate. We had, we had some big names, but. We didn't actually play against any big name in particular that year, but we did play in a very popular tournament in Bristol, Tennessee called the Arby's Classic. And our first game out, we played against a team out of Germany. It was their high school team, and they had some kids that were pretty good. They had like eight kids that were 6'5 and bigger. (laughs) And that was our first loss of the year. We actually lost two of our three games in that tournament, uh, and we lost to a school called L.A. Dorsey out in L.A., Mm And you know you you should be familiar with Dorsey. Um, that's where Big Kurt went. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, I played against Big Kurt, and he um, they beat us by like six. Uh, we played a team out of the Bahamas. We beat them, and we played another team from like Tennessee. But it's a very good tournament, and it was some very good athletes. Um, but Julius Vandelar for the German team ended up going to Furman, which was D one. So that was probably one of the bigger names that we played against after high school. You ended up playing at Western Kentucky. Can you talk about how you were recruited and how you ended up there? Well, it started with actually coming out of my sophomore year. Got a little look from the University of Georgia because they actually came to see somebody else. Um, 
but I started going to Clemson's uh, individual camps as the you know rising junior and a rising senior. Excuse me, came really good friends with Jeff Shiat, who was Larry Shiat's son at the time. Larry Shiat was at Clemson. Um, it's funny because Clemson wanted to offer me, but I hadn't taken SAT yet. So Coach Shiat reached out to Coach Felton, who coached with him at Clemson and with him with under Rick Barnes, and told him they had a kid that they needed him to come see. Well, we go to Vegas, my first game in Vegas, come out um, that year, going to my senior year, my first game in Vegas, I come out and have like 25, a bunch of rebounds, a bunch of assists, whatever. And um, this guy walks up to me, he was like, we're going to have you at Western next year. And he walks off. He's like, "My head, I'm on the phone with my head coach. He's coming to see you play tomorrow. I'm looking at the schedule right now. And he walks off. And I was just like, okay. Didn't know if he was talking about Western Carolina. Western Michigan, I mean, you got Western, you have Western Kentucky, there's a lot of Westerns, and I didn't know what he was talking about, Western New Mexico, I know where he's from, so then next day, Coach Felton, at every game I play it from then on in, and um, he talked to me after a game, but then he flew to my hometown um, the last day of the recruiting period that year, after we got back from Vegas, and he uh, came and talked to me for like two hours at my coach's basketball camp, and and I just fell in love with it. He was just like, yo, we're going to – we want you. You're going to play. You'll have a chance to play. I'm not going to guarantee you playing time. You'll have to earn it. But it just was – it was a different situation because I was I was set in stone on going to either South Carolina State or Winter to be truthful. And Virginia Tech and Tulane were – those rounded out my top five. Um, but I was, I was bent on going to Winter or to play for Greg Marshall. But – I knew I had I had three things I wanted in a school, and Western Kentucky and South Carolina State were only two to able to offer all three. Very good. So you ended up ended up at Western Kentucky, and they're a very good program. That was around the Courtney Lee time and the uh, and the Sweet Sixteen and all the stuff that they did. What did you learn there? So when I got there, uh, coach was coming off his second straight. Uh, conference championship. Now his first two years, of course, they were in the dumps and he, he turned their program around and our actual winning the conference championship tournament game was his 100th win. Um, I learned a lot there. I learned how to be a defensive player. I learned how to be an offensive rebounding machine. I learned how to be a man and, you know, be a, be a businessman because we at Western Kentucky home or away, we had to wear suits shirt and tie we could be walking across the street from the door and we had to wear a shirt and tie with a jacket period um we didn't have facial hair we were shaved nothing below the chin um so it was you just learn how to be carry yourself as a professional you know through the airport when people talk to you he taught us how to interview um we would do mock interviews with the media just you know so we knew what to say and what not to say um but my time in western Kentucky was good because i became a champion um Again, after my freshman, after my senior year in high school, I became a champion. We won the regular season, and then we won a tournament. And, you know, that was big because it was on our home floor, and no team in the conference had ever done that. So it was it was really good for us. Um, but just overall, just how Coach was a good man towards his family, he's a good husband. I mean, it, it, you don't think about that stuff when you're 18, 19 years old, but – at 36 now, looking back on it, it's like, man, I really learned a lot. Um, but it didn't, you didn't end up lasting there. Um, talk about how that, how you ended up leaving and where you ended up landing on your feet. 
So what happened was at the end of that year, obviously coach was coach was a hot ticket because coming into my senior year in high school, he was a hot ticket at Florida State too. His name came up, but ultimately they went with Leonard Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Clemson and Georgia both popped open right after you know right after conference tournaments were playing. Clemson and Georgia both popped open, uh, and we I kind of knew it was a possibility that he could go to Clemson because that's where he had came from, um, but in the long run of it, didn't think he would go to Georgia, but we got called in late, late meeting, um, told us that he was leaving and going to the University of Georgia. And um, it, it kind of, it kind of broke my heart because, you know, I was planning to play four years at Western Kentucky. So I waited and I stayed um, because we thought our top assistant, the guy who actually recruited me was going to get the head job. And we advocated for him as a team. Uh, we told him we didn't want anybody else, um, but they ended up hiring Darren Horn. Um, I got to play about a semester for him, and it didn't quite work out because I didn't fit what his idea and his vision of basketball was, and, and he didn't fit my vision of coaching. And, you know, just happened to have a good friend out in California, Jason Cunningham, who was like, yo, the school where I played is looking for people. Send me a film. And I sent a film, and – the rest is history. Coach Bob Burton gave me a call and left a message and said, hey, uh, love to talk to you. Uh, we got to talking. He was like, well, when you ask for your release, uh, we'll take you. And got my release because I knew I was leaving at the semester break, but I didn't, I didn't want to leave without having somewhere mm-hmm. to go. So it came down to Cal State Fullerton and South Carolina State. And truth be told, my dad and I went down to South Carolina State um, to sign. I went down to sign. Like I was going, I went down to practice because my dad really didn't want me to come to California. So I was like, but I was bent on going to California. I was like, dad, I'm going to California. This is LA. Can't turn it down. He's like, no, let's go down to South Carolina State. Let's watch him practice and let's hear what the coach got to say. I'm like, all right, cool. I said, you know what? I said, dad, we can go down there outside because it gives me a chance to be close to home. You'll get to come to a lot more games. Uh, if I go to California, you're not, you know, you're going to come to two games a year, maybe. And we went down there and it just, we just didn't have a very good vibe because I had already had my paper signed for Fullerton. They were just in the envelope with a stamp on it. And Coach and and Coach Burton and uh, Coach Levy, they were all waiting on my decision. And I got the papers from South Carolina State. He handed them to me. I was like, we'll be in touch. And I went and dropped. We went to eat. He looked at me. I looked at him. I said, yeah, we're going to drop these papers. I'm going to L.A. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up at Cal State Fullerton. Got there. Um, obviously, Coach Burton was in his, I think it might have been his first year or second year there. Um, and it was different for him, just like it was different for me, because he was coming from a championship program. I came from a championship program. And to walk into what, you know, what was going on that first, my first year there, it was like, okay, what did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. And he kind of told me, not in a bad way, he was just like, hey, you know, we're not, we're not in school till February. so." you don't like it here, I ain't gonna have no hard feelings. You can, you know, you still can leave. I was like, coach, I'm here. No, I ain't trying to go back home. I done moved all my stuff out here. I'm here. So I ended up at Cal State Fullerton and that's where I finished my career out at. Talk to me about the uh, the experience there with the coaches and now you as a coach and as coach for a long time after, what are some things that you learned that you carry with you? Um. <laughs> 
I think one thing that I took from Coach Burton um, is, and I don't think I've ever told him this, so I hope he listens to this. Um, I took his feistiness, like his his drive to win was, I mean, Coach Felton's drive to win was on top, unmatched too, but Coach Burton just had, it was like he just had something to prove because I think a lot of people were doubting him because he was a JUCO coach coming from a junior college. Now he just made jump D1 and a lot of times that doesn't happen um and I, I think his just his feistiness and his drive to win was just unmatched man and, it, and it's it's been he had that thing that I'm gonna find something that motivates me and I'm gonna do it so now as a coach I find that one thing that motivates me and and I and I use it and go with it um after you finished uh, at Fullerton, you ended up playing professional basketball. Uh, talk to our listeners about what that was like and the difference between college, Division One, and professional basketball. Um, I had a very unique situation. Obviously, <clears throat> you know, our senior, as you know, our senior year, we had uh, we had a lot of NBA scouts coming to the games to see Bobby and myself. Um, and then, of course, Frank picked up steam as well toward the end of the year. Um, it, it was good. Um, I signed with the agent early, and it was prematurely. And, and I was his only client. So that was like, mm, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So I ended up switching. I, talked to, I ended up talking to Courtside. I talked to a few other agencies. Um, ended up going with a guy out of Miami. Um, it was good. But when I got overseas, I got to uh, Amsterdam Holland my first year. It was very different. First of all, I had to adjust to the culture. First of all, I had to get my time changed together, but then I had to adjust to the culture, adjust to the language, which in Holland, English is their second language. Um, so that was really the big, I think that was the biggest adjustment. Basketball is basketball. Um, the speed of the game obviously changed because there's 24 second shot clock now instead of that 35 second shot clock that we played with when I was in college. Um, the guys are a lot stronger physically. Um, you got guys like I played against Ron Wright, who had played in the NBA, had a kid named Leon Rogers, who ended up making Memphis's team to the final cut of preseason. Uh, he was brand player of the year, two years in a row in that league. Uh, Ray Weathers, who played in the NBA, played at Michigan State. Like that league was really, 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 really good. Um, and it was a lot of Americans, but they had we had some foreigners. We had countrymen. They were foreigners to me, but they were countrymen who were really, really good. And I had some that were really good on my team. Uh, my point guard on the first team, because I ended up getting traded about midway through the season, not necessarily traded, but switched teams about midway through the season. He was a starting point guard and all-time assist leader in Marquette, Tony Miller. Um, so it, so I had him showing me the ropes and still, again, teaching how to be a pro, um, learning it, it learning a new coach and learning his, he was military style. And it was just like, it was wear and tear. And I was like, yo, coach, we need to rest. He didn't quite understand that. It was just, we're going to go hard. We're going to go hard. We're going to go harder. So I think the biggest adjustment, like it was from high school to college, was the speed of the game. The speed of the game changes. And then the physicality is not, there's not so much physicality over there because in Holland, there was some physicality. When you got an American matchup against an American, it was it was good physicality. But when it was an American matchup against a countryman, it it was it was more finesse, um, skilled. They they're very skilled in Europe, and they they believe in working on individual skills, and that was another thing 
that was really good. Um, at one point, we were working on spinning the ball out, jump stop, pivot on your right foot, pivot on your left foot. And I'm like, this is elementary. But I understood because they, they believed in fundamentals first. Um, did you notice a difference in the coaching? I know you talked about the coach was hard on you guys physically and, you know, made you guys practice hard and, and do everything at a certain level. What what other differences were there between a professional coach in Holland and what you were used to in your American coaches? Um, my first coach, because we ended up landing this guy. I can't, I can't think of Mike's last name. But Mike was a seven-footer. He was a vet. And he was he was really, really good. I mean, he was at the end of his career, but he was really, really good. And we were starting together, but my coach, instead of – I was our leading scorer. I was third in the league at the time. And um, my coach came to me and was like, I need you to come off the bench. And I was like, what? <laughs> that Like, it wasn't a bad thing, but I was just like, what do you mean you need me to come off the bench? He was like, let me tell you why. He said, because when you go out of the game, because you score at a high rate, when you go out of the game, we don't we don't have any scoring off the bench. And I need somebody to come in and score off the bench. And I was like, well, why not such and such and such and such? He's like, well, he's a vet. We don't know how he'll respond. Whereas an American coach is probably not going to put their leading scorer on the bench to come off the bench. So I think that was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um Coach Bergman gonna bring me off the bench. Coach Bergman gonna bring LB off the bench either. <laughs> right. um, Coach Bergman believes, you know, most American coaches, and not all, but most American coaches believe in, you know, you're a coach like me. We believe in we're gonna put our best five on the floor, and then we'll find the subs as it goes on. Um, but it actually worked out really well for me because when I came in, it was good because now I'm not with all the starters. I'm with I'm with like a starter or two. And they're not scores, so it, it worked out, and you know it helped us along the way. And even when I switched teams, I, I, my coach wanted to start me, and I was like, "No." He was like, "Why?" And I was like, Mm-mm. "I said I'd rather come off the bench." I said because when you put me in, I'm that spark off the bench. So I was. So you talking about you got a guy? I ended up averaging about 15 that whole year. So you got a guy averaging 15, 16 points a game coming off the bench. That's to your advantage any day of the week. Mm-hmm. So I, it was really good. That was probably the first time or first time in a long time that you've had to play off the bench. Since my freshman year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I had never played off the bench <laughs> after, you know, four years in high school. And then my freshman year was the only time I played off the bench. Um, where did you uh, play professionally after overseas? Um, so I, I had a stint in Holland. Um, I did Germany twice. I got to Taiwan, the Dominican Republic. And then, of course, it was the NBA Developmental League at the time. Now it's the G League because Gatorade sponsors it. Um, I played with the LA Defenders and uh, Bakersfield Jam, which they're now the South Bay Lakers. And I think they're still the Bakersfield Jam. But, yeah, that's where I played. Um, what was it? What was it like at those levels? Were there – Well, let let me ask you this. When you were playing in the G League, you're with other American pros, uh, high-level college guys, all-American, all-league players. What was was their attitude towards work ethic and skill development and fundamentals? Was it different than what you were used to? Um, Well, with the the L.A. team, it was a little different because 
we had three guys that had just came out of training camp with the Lakers. You're talking Joe Crawford, Kentucky. Um, you're talking Dwayne Mitchell, who played at Louisiana Lafayette, could jump out of the gym. And then you're talking Brandon Heath from San Diego State. And, you know, we played against San Diego State in my first game out at uh, Fullerton. And those guys had a different perception of it. Um, and then I had been a professional before. And then Jasper Johnson, Jasper was really crafty and he could really score the ball. And, um, he, you know, he he didn't fit the triangle well. He ended up getting traded. Um, he didn't fit the triangle well. But we fit, we fit well together in the triangle. But he was a scorer. He needed the ball in his hands. And a team in New, Me New Mexico actually traded for him because it was working. But a lot of the other guys that came in the training camp were kind of draftees or invites. And they um, – I don't know that their work ethic was all the way there or they didn't understand it. But at that, at that time, you're, you're talking 18 guys in training camp and you only got 10 spots. It really wasn't about work ethic. It was about can you remember this triangle offense? Uh, <laughs> and can you not get hurt? So we lost three guys in the first two days because they got hurt and they couldn't come back. And then you lost another three or four guys because they they couldn't pick up the triangle. It just didn't fit. Like so, work ethic. But you know, then when I got to Bakersfield, it was different because you're talking to have a team Cleves, NBA vet, Jeff Trapani, NBA vet, Derek Byers, SEC Player of the Year, NBA guy, um, Trey Johnson, been in the camp with. Uh, Chris Paul as Chris Paul's backup for training camp with New Orleans and then he'd been in training camp with Phoenix so now you're talking I got I'm with then I had Justin Reed who passed away a couple years ago who was first round pick by Boston you know same year with Kendrick Perkins so you're talking I had all NBA guys now so now it's they're teaching you how to be a pro be the first one in the gym last one to leave uh, work it now they believed a lot in work it I'm not saying the guys in LA didn't but you got three or four guys that played in the NBA and they know you're trying to get there. It made a difference. So the work ethic was, it was really good. And you played against really good people. It was interesting to hear that the guys who had played in the NBA had a different, what we would consider probably a better, uh, a better way of approaching the game versus the guys who really didn't catch on in that, in that, in, 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 with the uh, Lakers team. Right. Um, when uh, I, I want to go back to when you talk about the Lakers, you said it was all about the really the mental aspect of it. Can you learn the stuff? How was the coaching with that team? Was it were they really really trying to teach you the stuff, or would they just show it to you and say you got to get it? How did how did they help you try to make the team? Well, Chucky Brown was the assistant coach. You know, he was a 16 year NBA vet. I still mm -hmm. talk to Chucky to this day, um, but. They were trying to play me at the four, which was the spot kind of that Lamar Odom played out on the perimeter, a little mm -hmm. bit more ball handling. And we had a lot of guards, but we had a couple of seven-footers that couldn't get down on the block and be the Andrew Bynum and the Pau Gasol to catch the ball and score. Mm -hmm. They taught us the triangle. They taught you how to pass because when you're on the perimeter, you had to pass from over your head. You could only make certain passes certain ways. Because if you didn't, it wouldn't work, so to speak. The reads wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. So we, um, I, I told my coach, and this is verbatim, and, and you'll know I'm not lying. I asked the coach, I said, hey, can I go in there and try that five spot right there? 
he was like, but you're only uh, – he's like, you're only 6'7". I was like, what do I got to do anything? He was like, centers are supposed to be, you know, 6'9 and bigger. I said, but I can do better than what they're doing right now. He was like, you think so? I said, I know for a fact. So I get in, first three possessions. I drop off two assists and score a bucket, and I sub out. And I was like, so what would you think? And he just kind of looked at me because Jasper was playing the four because they were trying to put Jasper at the five, and Jasper was not a five man. I could play the five because I had just played it for the last three years at Fullerton. Um, so I was able to do what they needed. And so <laughs> he looked at me, and I was just like, whatever. But my way of catching on to the team was I was willing to sacrifice myself as a scorer to be the guy who would make those passes, make the correct reads. But more importantly, I was the guy in one practice, I was talking constantly on defense. Mm -hmm. And the coach took notice to it. He was like, he's like, I'm not saying he's made the team, but he's got a pretty good shot. I said, he was talking the entire practice. I tried to take a couple charges out and you had to get used to getting outside that uh, half circle. Uh, But it was, they, the triangle was so detailed and, you know, Phil would come sit in practice, uh, front office would come sit in practice. Assistant coaches were around because it would text winter came into practice. The triangle is so detailed. Yes, it's all reads, but there's a lot of detail to it that people don't really understand unless you play in it mm-hmm. or unless you study it because like <laughs> back doorstep, pig, it was so much. It, it's, it's just a lot of terminology and they have certain terminology. When he said back doorstep, I was like, what? He said, yeah, we're going to run pig. I was like, what? He had the one up or two up or five up. You had lot set lob plays. A lot of times when Shaq would roll up to the free throw line and roll back to the rim for a lob play or if Kobe ran for a lob. Those were all calls, but they were reads. You could call them, but they were reads. So you had to learn to really – the triangle is really a read and react. It is kind of like, a, you know, the read and react offense that we run today. It, it was a read and react offense, but – you had to pay attention to the detail because it was very, very detail-oriented. Very. You mentioned uh, some of the coaches and some of the professional Laker players in there with you. Were there any of the uh, – did you have any interaction with any of the current or the at that time the current Laker players? Yeah. Um, Derek Fisher and I actually knew – well, my at the time, well, my daughter's aunt went to high school with Derek so they let his mom his mom know I was going out there his mom let him know I was coming so that was my first start but then you know however saw I had a conversation with him while he was shooting around one day Lamar Odom was very cool Luke Walton Jordan Farmer uh Jordan actually had to practice with us son that year because he got hurt and he was going to be out to the all-star break so he had to work out during our practices uh got to talk to Kobe that was very very intriguing uh I talked to Kobe's driver every day um he was like, man, Kobe, I talked to you. He just needs to see you around. Cool people's man. Just talk to him. When you see him, just say, hey. And he was. Bynum was kind of quiet. Uh, Lamar Odom was re- really the life of the party. But, yeah, we had interaction, but it was never like we practiced together or nothing like that. But those guys weren't so – they were superstars to everybody in the world. But to us, they were like, hey, if you need help, just talk to us. Like, especially Luke Walton. Luke was, Luke was like a – open book when it came to the triangle um those guys were great um kobe didn't it, kobe came on the court we had to get off the court anyway so it didn't really matter mm-hmm. <laughs> it was kobe right. time. we had to go but um yeah we, i had interaction it was good yeah so you end up retiring from uh, professional basketball and calling it a career what made you get into coaching i got hurt in taiwan 
and I was going to, I came home and I was supposed to be home for two weeks and then I was going to go to Syria because I already had a deal to go to Syria um, lined up um, after I got hurt and I told them I needed two weeks. Um, but I decided not to go because I had got into junior college coaching with men. I was doing that in between anyways. So I did two years on the men's side, but then. At what junior college? Arkansas Baptist Junior College. Okay. Um, so, and I was coaching under Corliss Williamson, who was an NBA vet, who's mm-hmm. now coaching in the NBA. Of course, he was a head coach on the D1 level. And I ended up going over to coach under uh, Deion Cross. Deion played uh, at Stanford with Brevin Knight. He was Brevin Knight's backcourt mate at Stanford. Deion could flat out play. He could shoot the ball. Dion didn't have an assistant coach, and I just asked him, you know, hey, can I can I join in and just learn from you? He was like, if you're going to coach for me, and that's why this is my rule. He's like, if you're going to coach for me, you got to be vocal. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. I was like, let me get in, find my way. And once I find my way, then we're good. He was like, okay. So it ended up working out well. So in our two years, we won 44 games, only with 11 losses, uh, lost in our region tournament. Uh, you know, JUCO regions are huge. We lost in our region tournament championship game twice, two years in a row. Um, we sent – I know we sent five kids D1 for sure in those two years, but we probably sent fit somewhere between 15, 20 kids on to the next level to play back so on full rides. Um, so it was a very good experience. Um, then I then I decided to, I, I decided to come home. Um, which for me was good because it actually ended up being the last year of both of my parents' life. So got here, um, started coaching AAU right away. Then uh, guy I know that I've played against forever, he was like, hey, man, I got a middle school job. They're going to be really good. They got some good athletes. Uh, you want it? Sure. You don't know better. I was like, all right, whatever. So I took over a middle school team. We ended up going 16-1. and one. <laughs> Funny thing is the one game we lost – we lost. Uh, <laughs> we lost because a guy on our team shot the ball in the wrong basket. But back to, I'm sorry, back to the original question. What got me into coaching was I just wanted to still be near the game. Um, I never wanted to be apart from the game. I've said that at, at some point on every level. They're like, you're just smart. You're gonna be a coach one day. You should already be a coach. And in actuality, Nick, I probably should have went <laughs> when I graduated. I probably should went right into coaching instead of going to play. Uh, I don't get me wrong. I enjoy my time playing, but I think I enjoy coaching a whole lot more than I do playing. Um, it, it, it's, it's rewarding. Um, playing was rewarding, but coaching is a different type of reward because you get to see kids succeed, come back and tell you about it. And so on that line. So I, I really just wanted to be near the game. I never stopped playing, um, but I just wanted to be near the game. So that's how I got into coaching. So let's talk about your uh, your coaching philosophy here. How have you developed your offensive and defensive philosophy? What 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 have you taken to make those your own? I've kind of taken a combination. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm what you would call a mutt. I, I'm a combination of Coach Burton, Coach Felton, uh, Nick Nurse. It's, it's about anywhere from my high school coaches to my pro professional coaches, and some of the coaches I've coached under. I'm a combination of all of them. But the thing that I've really – I've kind of gone back to – I'm going to go back to or was going back to in AAU was the Dennis Felton slash Bob Burton mix. 
And what do I mean by that is the up-tempo style offense, go get it. You know, both coaches believe in offense rebounding because, you know, we offense rebounded like crazy at Council Fullerton, and we did at Western Kentucky. But we play more control offense at Western Kentucky. So I'm going back to the more up-tempo um, up-tempo offense, but controlled, but still crashing the offensive boards. But that's my, my that's my Bob Burton style. But I'm adding my Dennis Felton back on defense. Five people guarding the basketball. We're gonna overload it. I'm gonna match up zone. Uh, it looks like man to man, and you know I'm gonna put pressure on. Take away the middle. Take away one half of the floor from you. Just the the things that I learned from those two together mixed then you can throw a little sprinkle of Doug Lau my high school coach on there and I'll just be a combination of all of them and if they all saw my team play they would know which part of my game came from each one of them so that's a lot of different uh, that's a lot of different ingredients uh, to your team talk to me how you develop a practice plan where you take all those different things and put them together to make winning basketball um, one of my practices, so I'm going to touch a little bit more on philosophy, if that's okay. I just believe in, I still want to shoot the ball pretty quickly if possible. I think, you know, we, we used to try to shoot the ball within somewhere 10, 12. Um, but on offense, on, when I'm on defense, I want to make you work. I want you to work. I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to aggravate you. It's like a little gnat. Practice plan wise to get the best out of them. Of course, you're going to work the closeouts. You're going to work the, um, box out drills you're gonna work the scramble drills um that sort of stuff but i try to make every practice fast paced and competition oriented because mm-hmm. when they're when they're competing I, I a lot of times i don't play i don't do a lot of scrimmaging but i do a lot of competing it might be two on two it might be three on three or it might be a six on four scramble drill where the, you're competing and you're you're working hard but you're competing and every drill is fast up tempo um, so I, I develop and we're going to always work the basic fundamentals, ball handling, closeouts, defensive slides, box out drills, work on the scenarios. If we trap out of a ball screen, we're going to work that, split them up. We're going to work that on each end of the floor, work on rotating out of that. We're going to work on doubling the post, but then we're going to, we're going to do our fast break cycles that you got to get done in 30 seconds. You got to get six shots in 30 seconds. We're going to do the 30 second shutout drill where it's four on four shell to start out with. And you're trying to get a stop for 30 seconds. You got to play defense. Then we'll do it five on five. Then we'll do two ball, two man, you know, two on two different two on two drills that, you know, you got to compete. It's really all about competition. Everything is about competition and who doesn't, who wants to run and who doesn't, you know? So I try to make them competition oriented and fast paced. And when you do that, you have fun. And now I got this from North Carolina football. Now, I play music during my practice. So it helps me talk louder than the music, but it also helps them to focus while there's a noise going on in the background. Interesting. Um, talk about how you run a program, how you run a varsity program, how you get the community involved, fundraise, how you get everybody excited about your program. Um, I've been – the next program I'll tell you over, I, I really want to do this big community day, like – where everybody in the community comes out, hey, you get to meet me as a coach and the coaches that will be on the staff, and you get to meet the players, um, you know, people cooking out, selling plates, that type of ordeal. But the biggest way I run my program is I run it like a college program. 
Mm-hmm. So that way, when you get to the next level, you're not shocked about what you see. You're prepared for it. Oh, I did this with Coach. Okay. He did oh, he did that this way. This is what we call that. I just want you to be prepared for the next level because if you're not prepared for the next level, then what are you preparing for? I'm going to prepare you for life because basketball ends, but I have to prepare you for the next level if that's what you want to do. Um, the community gets involved. You do different things on Saturdays, like little individual camps for, you know, for an hour and a half to get the kids in there. And then that means the parents are going to come. So now the fans, the kids are going to want to come to the game because they want to see you. And then they're looking up to the players who are playing and they're like celebrities to them. So you do everything you can to get the community involved. Every, and it's, it's different stuff. One thing that I do want to do is I want to do a black tie gala so the community can see a team outside of, outside of basketball clothes, man. It's, come see us dressed up, you know. Um, come sit down, have dinner with us, listen to music, see how we interact. Um, obviously, you know, you still do the fish fries, the Boston butt sales, uh, those type of things, raffle tickets. You know, you do the basic stuff. I mean, of course, you try to host a tournament, make money off the tournament and that type of thing. But the biggest thing is I just want my kids to be prepared for the next level and then if they're not going to the next level, everything that we're talking about in our program is preparing them for life. Very good. Um, one thing that you've kind of, uh, you, you really inspired me to do, uh, and really it, the whole reason or the inspiration to launch my podcast was your is your YouTube page. And you are on there almost every single day with a whole bunch of coaches on a Zoom interview. And you're in there taking notes and, and meeting with all different types of people from all over. What are some things that you've learned from uh, running that page or running that YouTube page and working with all those coaches? You get to see how, like, even even in our conversation, I've actually gone back and uh, we'll touch on this a little bit afterwards, but I've gone back and looked at ours and just from you, like, it's like I get your philosophy now. I had to go back and listen to it. At first, I was like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But then I thought about it, and I was like, if you don't have guys that can play in that mid-range, you know, it's hard. You know what I'm saying? But it's just good to be able to see the work ethic of a Jason Williams at Belmont Abbey or Dean Walsh at Union College or Nicole Woods, who's a top assistant at UNC Charlotte. It's good to see those people and hear what they think and then get their advice. Um, Because as a coach, you know, like I know we're always learning. Like nowadays, nothing is mine. Like I'm going to go to a matchup zone, something I've never done, but that's not mine. I got it from somebody else. I'm going to make it mine, but it came from Dean Walsh. And then your philosophy. Okay. If I don't want to do that, I can do this. I got it from you. It didn't come from me. It just like you got it from somebody else, but I got it from you because I knew it from you. So I'm always learning and trying to uh, change up and see how I can be better. Cause I was, for lack of a better word, I was hell bent on being, I'm going to pick you up when you get in the parking lot. I'm going to run you down. I'm going to trap you all over the place and I'm going to run and I'm going to put it on the rim and we're going to go get it. And that's cool. If you've got the talent and the skill level players, or not even skill level players, if you got the athletes to do that, that's cool. And then you got kids that'll buy into it. You don't, they're not necessarily athletic, but for me, I, I always want to learn and be a better coach. And I always want to adapt. Even as the game changes, 
because we have to change as coaches. We have to evolve with the game. As we're still going to do what we want. We're still going to do our stuff, but we still have to be able to evolve with the game so that our stuff now fits the new way of playing. I was, for example, I was at the gym today, but yesterday I'm looking at all the kids that are playing. There's no more true bigs. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's no more back to the basket players. All bigs are face up, put the ball on the floor, or they're just freakishly athletic and they can jump out of the gym. That, and they play good defense. That's about it. There's no, I'm going to go post you up and I'm going to put 20 in on you. I think the only one that's coming up, he's going to be a rising sophomore, and that's Big John. He plays with Bronny James on that AAU team. He's seven footer, 3'8", 280, 300-pound kid that's back to the basket. But even to a certain extent, he still plays facing up. So there's not – you look at the NBA, there's not a lot of back-to-the-basket guys. JaVale McGee is not a back-to-the-basket. There's Dwight Howard. You know, these guys – nobody's back-to-the-basket. You have guards that post up, but you don't have true fives anymore. So you have to evolve with the game. Do I think the game is going to go back there? Yes, I think the game will go back to bigs. But right now it's a pick-and-roll, spread you out, five out. I'm going to take advantage of this – I'm going to take advantage of this mismatch, and I'm going to get downhill. We're going to drive, and we're going to draw, and we're going to shoot the three. Until we can't shoot it no more. Yeah. Um, a couple more things, and I'll let you go. Professional development, besides your YouTube page, uh, which is uh, obviously big professional development for you, what are some other ways that you develop as a coach? Um, I go on YouTube and actually sometimes just pick a random game. I've watched the um, Duke Central Florida game in the last couple months. I've watched. Uh, Rick Pitino's Louisville teams. I've watched the Rick Barnes, Tennessee teams. And then you watch Shocker Smart teams. I do that because I just like to see the different style of plays because Shocker Smart has his own style of play. You know, and Rick Barnes plays another way. Rick Barnes is grinding out. Dennis Felton does this way. Uh, Frank Haight does it another way. I, li- I have my certain coaches I like to pick out and see, and then I'll try to pick a new coach who will um, – who I can start to study as well. So it's, it, so I, I, that's how I do it. YouTube, it might be random. It's just, oh, let me turn this. Or I'll watch a Jay Wright uh, break down his offense. It's, he's got a video on there. It's about 20 minutes. I've watched that video so many times. I probably can run Jay Wright's offense for him right about now. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, you know, as a coach, you have to be that way, especially in these times. You have to be that way. And you have to be in a constant development because if you're not, then what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. how are you getting better? It, it, I don't know. It's just, I think you can learn something from everybody some kind of way. And it might be little stuff. So, What is your advice for uh, coaches coming going forward? What is some advice you give to young coaches or people getting new into the game? What are some things that you could tell them to help them on their way? Um. I would say if you know early you want to be a coach, get started early. Don't wait too late, uh, number one. Number two, um, this was told to me uh, in an interview as well. Figure out which level you want to coach on. Start seeking um, – what's my word? Start seeking uh, mentors at that level so that you can understand what it takes to get to that level. Um, the best advice – it was told to me by Coach Don Brown. She said, it's not about who you know. It's about who knows you. So make sure people know you. But at the end of the day, to be a coach in this game, be a sponge. Don't come in thinking you know it all. And, you know, I've been coaching 12 years, and I still got a lot I can learn from the game. 
I learn something new every day about the game. So make sure you're always a revolving door. You're not a revolving door. You're an open book to learning. Um, my, my pastor said it best, marry somebody you can change with. So make sure as a coach you're able to adapt to change because change is always going to happen. You don't know when, you don't know where, you don't know how, but it's going to happen. So just figure out how you can go with the flow without being a yes man, but make sure you're being a sponge and adapting to change. That would be the biggest advice I can give as coaches. And have a mentor or two or three or four on speed dial that you can pick up the phone. Hey, I got a question. Like I think Coach Feltner, hey, Coach, I got a question. I need to ask you this. Right now, Dean Walsh has been my on my speed. Hey, Coach Walsh, I need to talk to you. So it's, you know, just make sure you're able to do those things. But make sure you got a mentor and be open to change because it's going to happen. I mean, think about it right now with this pandemic. We're going to have a new norm when sports start back. Sports won't look like they looked last year. And in 10 years, sports won't look the same as they did in 2020. So you have to just be able to evolve with the chain, ever evolving change of sports and coaches. What's the best way for our listeners to reach you if they want to reach out to talk to you, pick your brain or, or, or get to know you a little bit more? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, Facebook, Coach J Brown, um, if I'm not mistaken, my my Instagram is Coach J Brown as well. I'm gonna double check that really quick. But it's my Twitter is Coach J Brown. Um, yes, my Instagram is Coach J underscore Brown twenty. Um, or you can hit me at uh, Jamal Brown twenty at gmail dot com. It's J A M A A L Brown twenty at gmail dot com. Um, I'm always open to questions. Um, and if you got something you want to tell me, please feel free to email me, hit me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm always looking to learn and learn from new people. So that's those are the ways to hit me or Coach Nick here has my number. You can get it from him if you hear this and you, you talk to Coach Nick on a regular. I don't put my number on the World Wide Web. <laughs> Some guys do. Some guys do. They don't mind it. Some guys do, but I don't want to that much <laughs> right it's different uh you and i work with high school kids so we're a little bit more uh a little bit more cautious about who we give our personal information to because that right uh, well coach thank you very very much for joining us um that was great um we look forward to following you and watching your teams compete watching your youtube page and watching you grow as a coach thanks for being here yeah appreciate it well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksonato at ymail.com. See you next time.